Good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is July 25th, 2023, and I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, tonight's class is going to be on the life and death of revolutionary comrade Ernesto Che Guevara. Uh, this comes as we see the 70th anniversary of the beginning of the Cuban Revolution with the raid on the Mancata barracks. Che Guevara played a critical role in the Cuban Revolution, and so we wanted to have a class that honored him. Uh, we also did a class last year on revolutionary Cuba that was in partnership with Midwestern Marks at the time. That is on our YouTube. Uh, if comrades want to go back and check that out. All right. So, yes, this class is on the Ernesto Che Guevara. And I know usually everyone always, uh, you know, has a beret or has a little star, or has his face on their T-shirt. But to me, he's personally kind of what led me onto my path. I thought to myself, if this is good enough for a doctor in the third world, for example, then it, you know, how bad could it be? So I was honored to take this class for everybody. And I just wanted to quickly say that this won't focus too much on all his endeavors, and we're going to more do a character study on the man himself. All right, so what we'll be learning today, who he was as a person, where he came from, and the politics of the area of the time, his introduction to Marxism, his adventures and time in Guatemala and Mexico, meeting Fidel, his involvement in the Cuban Revolution and that stage of his life, and then basically uh, his death and what led him to Bolivia around 1967. His parents were up upper middle class from Spain. He has uh, hints of Irish blood in him. For those of you who are more well read on Che, he was noted to have the blood of Irish rebels in him. Early on, he developed an affinity for the poor, having been educated on leftist works. His father supported the Republicans during the Spanish Civil War from 1936 to 1939 and provided him a lot of material to read as a youth. Of course, born in Argentina, June 14th, 1928, and he suffered from severe asthma as a kid, but literally never let him stop him. I mean, this man became a doctor and trekked jungle and went around the world and stood at the UN. So don't let your own, you know, if you have them, don't let your own things get you down because if Che can do it, you can do it. Eventually, in Che's uh, or in Fidel's army, he reached the rank of major. While generally pleasant and charming, he was known to be strong in his convictions and would often speak his mind bluntly if need be, which I also kind of agree with, but you got to make sure you know what you're talking about. His father, Ernesto Guevara Lynch, once mentioned, like I said, that in his blood flows the blood of Irish rebels. In 1948, he studied medicine in Buenos Aires and also had an undying passion to explore, which I also share with my bushcrafting. He read everything from Nietzsche's idea of death to Jaharwahal Naharu's Marx Lenin, Ciro Algeria Bazan, George Ikaza, H.G. Wells, The Buddha, and more. Very well read. In school, his favorite subjects were philosophy, math engineering, political sciences, sociology, history, and archaeology. A later declassified CIA document would note Che as, quote, quite well-read and fairly intellectual for a Latino. And again, this is in 1958. So now we're going to basically look at the environment he was around or grew up in. So this is Latin America at the time. 
So around the decade in Brazil, 1935 was the communist uprising led by Luis Carlos Prestes between the 23rd and 27th of November, 1935. In Venezuela, there was the military dictatorship of Perez Jimenez and was forced out by 1958. In Colombia from 48 to 58, as everyone who studied any history know, was La Violencia. That was super important for the left. A 10-year civil war between the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party. It began with the assassination of Jorge Elessier on April 9th, 1948. In Peru, in a coup on October 2nd, 1948, General Emmanuel Ordia became president. And at first, he appeased the oligarchs, but then later he shifted his support to the poor and lower classes. Around 1967 in Bolivia, the CIA funded the Bolivian dictatorship to hunt down and later murder Che, as we'll find out. Now, a lot was going on in Chile at the time. In 1920, they had a system working for the rich. In 1924 was a military coup led by Luis Altamirano. By 1925, another year later, there was another coup that would oust Altamirano. He was arrested but died of old age in 1938 and, of course, Pinochet. In Uruguay, Gabriel Terra Coup, the General Assembly in 1933 and governed by decree. And now these are the countries that are more closely related to Chile. So in Argentina in 1930, they saw the coup of Yerigoen by Jose Felix Uriburu. In 1934, saw a coup led by General Arturo Rawson, toppled, by, toppled the democratically elected government of Ramon Castillo as always. In Guatemala, as many of us know, there was the United Fruit Company and their massacre of peasants to have bananas. There was the communist threat from Mexico after the Zapatistas and their movement. In, from 1944 to 1954, Che witnessed and experienced the Guatemalan Revolution, which we'll get a little bit into. There was the Civil War from 1954 to 1996, 60 to 96, depending on where you draw your, um, you know, decrees and all that. There were the laws passed by Arbenz, and then Harry Truman authorized toppling Arbenz in 1952 with the help of the dictator Anastasio Somoza Garcia. And then, of course, in Mexico, the Zapatistas, a force of the Mexican Revolution from 1911 to 1920, who fought against the nationalists. All right, so what most people don't know is Che actually had two um, journeys. One he didn't really document about too well, and one we know as the road trip diaries. And I believe this is a rough overview of his road motorcycle diaries. So yeah, his first trip, he actually makes it to the U.S. And he sees how life is, and he actually is very fond of the U.S. He thinks that they can um, help them, and they're a beacon of liberty and all this other stuff. This was before, though. So on his way up, he went through the mines of Peru and he saw that the U.S. corporations were paying the local peasants nothing while extracting hundreds of resources and millions of dollars and all these people were suffering. And in, in the book Che by John Lee Anderson, which I, I plan to donate to the John Reed Center in the future, he talks of a story where a farming or a, a mining family, a couple actually had to pick between warmth or food throughout the night and it just broke his heart. So he saw all this exploitation and being well-read. He kind of put the pieces together and saw that the U.S. corporations did not give a, a crap about the people down here. He had some fun adventures along the way. He even got in trouble with the police a few times. 
but he he had this lack of fear, which I don't know how he had because again, in one of the chapters, it's mentioned how he even had to sell his final suitcase to book a ride on a little Vespa for the final length of uh, his journey. So he ends up in Guatemala and being left leaning, he wants to get into all the stuff and help Guatemala in its revolution. So he joins the uh, youth league there, and then he actually gets devoted to Marxism-Leninism in Guatemala. He spent some time traveling and curing the impoverished or those out of reach for free. He did cure leprosy. I forgot the country of which, but it is, is noted. So whenever somebody says that Che is a monster, we'll just point out that he cured leprosy for free, and I haven't seen any doctor do that lately. His socio-political awakening has very much to do with his face-to-face contrast with poverty and exploitation, illness and suffering. Carlos M. Villas is quoted in the book. So we can get discussing on his first uh, section, and if there's any more timbits, anybody knows? Okay, so I got a couple things. Great presentation, by the way. So the first thing is, due to Spanish naming conventions, the Irish side of his family was his mother's. Guevara is the paternal last name, and Lynch is the maternal last name. So it goes father first, mother second. So Lynch comes from his mother's side of the family. They also do this in Italy and a couple of other Latin. The Romance languages tend to do this as well. But another thing too, the Zapatistas, which is referred to in this thing, is not the same Zapatistas as today. I want to make that abundantly clear because it was Pancho Villa had his army in the north and Zapata had his army in the south. So it was the Revolutionary Army of the South. They themselves called themselves colloquially uh, Zapatistas, but it was never their official name. They were known as the Revolutionary Army of the South. And then also, too, I believe it is in Brazil where he uh, encounters the colony of lepers. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's like that. But yeah, that's, that's very interesting to note, you know, because at that time, leprosy was still seen as... These people are untouchable. We should not help them. We should not do anything, you know, because we don't want to catch this disease. And Che and his compañero, they went over there and they were helping them for free, entirely for free. And he got to speak with these people and learn about their struggles because obviously a leper couldn't find a job back in those days. So they were even more impoverished than just the average people in Brazil. But just wanted to bring that up. I kind of found out about this tidbit originally from watching the Motorcycle Diaries. One of the mines in Chile, at least in the movie he visits, was run by the Anaconda Company, the Anaconda Copper Company, which also is where their main one was in Butte, Montana, which is my hometown. And other than just having lived there, you know, I learned a lot about imperialism and how it all works because there is the biggest strike in Butte happened in 57 and it was broken because they had that mine in Chile. Uh, just, just some fun background of the situation and how the, what happens down there matters up here, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I thought like the uh, coup and uh, overthrow of our bands in our Guatemala occurred under Eisenhower and it was approved then, not under Truman. 
uh, I just did a general quick look to see who was the president at the time. I could be mistaken. It's all good. Yeah, then I also wanted to bring up, so his time in Guatemala, the revolutionary forces were totally routed from that country. So that led people like Fidel and his group to leave to Mexico. And that's where they had met with Che and everything like this. There was already some Cubans there, but when the attack on the Moncada barracks failed, they regrouped again in Mexico. So there was two trips of Fidel and his people to Mexico. Just wanted to make that clear. We've just received from in Mexico, it's called the Popular Socialist Party. They just published, actually, it's on about the Cuban Revolution and Mexico, as exactly this, Moncada. So we will translate it and share it. Thank you. Was, because I know Fidel, it took him a little bit to kind of come around to Marxist, Marxism and Leninism. Was Che always a Marxist Leninist, kind of whenever he first started? Yeah, as soon as he kind of read the books and saw the poverty, generally early in his life, he was kind of committed and, and convinced. The Fidel thing is a bit if we we don't know, because his brother Raul was definitely a communist member. But Fidel and Che were, that's why they people were worried or felt like Fidel could be played with, because he's like, okay, they got on one ear, they got Raul and Che telling him to do communist things. And then the other ear, they got the you know, the U.S. saying, oh, we'll aid you if you get rid of Batista. And then they didn't ended up doing it. And so he was basically always a communist, correct? With this, we have to consider as well that at the time, the big socialist trend in Latin America was indeed Trotskyism. But Che fell into the category of Mark, uh, Orthodox Marxism. He wasn't necessarily a Marxist-Leninist, and neither necessarily was Raul. And even Fidel, in the early days of the revolution, he is quoted as saying, we hate Soviet imperialism as much as we hate American imperialism. But he understood dialectics, and he understood the dialectical relation between his revolution in Cuba and the revolution in the Soviet Union. This is what brought him closer to the Soviet Union. So yeah, the part everyone cares about, <laughs> becoming a communist. So as I said earlier, in Guatemala, he, he really, really wanted to see a bright future of the workers rise up. It didn't happen. There was too much U.S. intervention if you do your own private research. So he did join the Guatemalan Youth League, but was actually annoyed by its inaction, which we can also discuss about discipline versus, you know, just doing something because you're, you're bored of inaction. He was never a former Communist Party member. He just did what he did out of duty, out of, you know, theory and out of humanity. Uh, his repeated calls to resist in Guatemala actually got him uh, on some CIA or FBI lists in America. So he was actually arrested, but then was given safe passage to Mexico, just like Fidel. And there he did meet the, the revolutionary lawyer named Fidel Castro, and the two quickly connected politically. It was in Guatemala, which finally convinced him of the necessity for armed struggle and for taking an in, uh, initiative against imperialism, seeing like was stated before as the workers failing in Guatemala. Without much thought, he joined Fidel as his number three to land and liberate Cuba, despite not being Cuban. 
Now, this might sound weird at the time, but back then, even amongst fellow Latinos, there was some racism. People were wondering why this Argentinian was helping Cubans and people didn't really trust each other. So it was sort of a big deal for this guy to randomly help you. This was seen as highly respected but odd at the time. Che's convictions strengthened that Marxism achieved through armed struggle and defended by an armed populace was the only way to rectify capitalist conditions. So his parts in the Cuban Revolution. So after sailing from Mexico on December 2nd, 1956, the yacht Grandma landed, albeit noticed by Batista's troops. They didn't actually land successfully. The yacht was designed to house 12 people. It carried 82. Of the 82 that originally landed under gunfire and bombings, only six would live to see Havana. And out of those six included Che, Fidel, Raul, and Camilo, another central figure there in the, uh, he was known as the like American cowboy hat guy. It was at this landing that Che, although a doctor by trade, had to choose between his gun and his medic pack one day under fire as they landed. Che had come unto his own when he picked up his rifle and he left the medical pack. So from the chaos of the landing and from all the other ones, uh, all the other revolutionaries dying, it took Che nearly two weeks of an asthma-ridden hike alone in the Sierra Maestras to reach the rally point they had set after the botched landing, during which he crossed many Batista patrols in passable ravines undetected. While being smart and independent, Che knew what his role was when he was where he was in Cuba. Once he actually lost his rifle and was scolded by Fidel and even lost command of a column. But Che didn't have a tantrum. He didn't wreck. He didn't split. He acknowledged that he screwed up and he tried to do better the next time. Being a true revolutionary, Che took the punishment without, without a single thought of revenge. Everyone would consult Che before any major decision went out. Che was vital for hearing the needs of the men and passing it on to Fidel because he had more strats to worry about. So Che was really like a, a focal point for this whole thing, kind of sticking together with Raul, really, really helping. It was his, Che, commitment to Marxism and the good leadership of Fidel, which was the core to the movement working. And it should be a standard for all Marxists that should have today. Che eventually made the rank of major and commanded a whole front of the revolution. This actually led to some pleasant infighting amongst the three fronts, and everyone was mad at Che for actually kind of going gung-ho and taking city after city and just really giving it to Batista. So there was some friendly banter there as they uh, liberated the country. He had the famous Battle of Santa Clara, and Raul, Fidel's brother, commanded the second front, I think, to the south, and um, Fidel commanded a front to the north. And in my opinion, one act of betrayal too large or one more desertion could have easily caused the movement to die. But it was Che that was the glue that held all things together. If you trouble with indignation at every injustice, then you are a comrade of mine. Che Guevara. And I did want to quickly touch up, since we did go over the Cuban Revolution, let's talk about his title as the Butcher of La Cabana. Each night, Che would go over the cases with his judges. But detailing his role in the trials 
to some hostile Cuban television interviews, he said that he never attended the trials or met with the defendants himself. It's kind of weird to butcher somebody you've never met. Instead, he explained, he examined their cases based on the evidence alone so as to reach his final verdicts coldly and neutrally. According to Borrego, Che took great care in selecting judges and prosecutors. Rebels who had been mistreated were not allowed to pass judgment on their former torturers. For instance, the trial strategy was elaborate with great care, Borrego said, quote, because there were sometimes prosecutors who were on the extreme left and one had to moderate those who always asked for the death sentence. When it came to the executions themselves, however, Che evidently overcame his earlier reservations about the American volunteer Herman Marx, whom he had cashiered in Kamiwe because Marx reappeared at La Cabana, where he took an active role in Che's firing squads. Che consulted with me, said Deku, but he was not in charge. And as military commander, his word was final. We were in agreement on almost 100% of the decisions. In about 100 days, we carried out about 55 executions by firing squad. And we got a lot of flack for it, but we gave each case due and fair consideration. And we didn't come